Hey everybody, this is Farmer D with the Citizen Farmers Podcast, bringing you inspiration, knowledge, and resources to help you grow healthy food, build thriving communities, and give back to the earth. For the past 25 years, I've been designing and building farms and gardens from backyards to agrihoods, and I'm excited to share my passion and experience for growing food and community with you. Let's dig in. A vision without a plan is just a dream. A plan without a vision is just drudgery. But a vision with a plan can change the world. That is an old Chinese proverb and introduces the planning equals vision chapter of my book, Citizen Farmers. And today I want to talk to you guys about planning because as a planner and a designer, someone who designs farms and gardens for a living, this is a very important process. Not just for planning your garden or farm, but really for planning anything that you want to endeavor and take on in your life. So in this part one of planning equals vision, I'd love to just share with you a couple of my really quick tips on my approach to planning and design and some of the main considerations that you can take when you're thinking about starting a garden or expanding your garden at your home or wherever you're gardening or farming. I'll start out by sharing a little planning meditation. Before I do start kind of projecting my own ideas on a site, I like to really connect with the place. You know, being able to clear your mind, open your heart, relax, listen, and feel into a place is a really important part of the process. This is one of the most important pieces of getting yourself in the zone for any planning process. And so what I like to do is just walk the garden or sit in the garden in a place that's really relaxing and quiet, maybe somewhere that you've got a nice view of some flowers and butterflies and birds or take a nice quiet stroll through the garden. I don't know if you've ever tried walking meditation. Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful walking meditation. Something just to really slow down, breathe, listen, connect with the place and experience it from a lot of different angles, right? So one of the things is to get different perspectives. When you look at an area from lots of different perspectives, it starts to open up new ideas and give you different insights into the place. So I would encourage that. And I'm going to share a little quote from Rudolf Steiner, who wrote the Biodynamic Agriculture Lectures and also founded Waldorf Education and many other things. He has a quote specifically about meditation in his agriculture course. And it goes like this. When a place calls to you for a rest, sit or stand and let yourself feel into the soil the grasses, the trees, the birds. View the space from many different perspectives and look closely at the details, such as the soil and insects. The quality of the plants and weeds growing there become one with the land, the plants, and the air. With less and less effort, you are able to feel very little separation between you and your surroundings. And as I say in the book, this is what it's like to experience being a human being rather than being a human doing. Learning to listen to the land and allowing it to speak through you is fundamental successful biodynamic farming and a habit that can give you clarity in whatever endeavor you wish to pursue. Once your mind is open and content, you can set your vision on the garden of your dreams. So let's do that. So let's set the vision. I think one of the key things that we look at, we take a cool process actually here with our clients and collaborators when we're starting to plant a garden or a farm. 
and we call it a composting and discovery process where you just take all your ideas, all your goals, all the everything that you want to do in this garden without any constraints. You don't worry about, do you have enough space? Can you do it? Just dream, right? This is the dreaming phase, the discovery phase. And put all those ideas down. And then what we do is we compost them. We start to organize them and cook them down into a more refined vision. And this composting discovery process is two parts. One part is what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the different elements you'd like to see in the garden? What are the things you want to grow? What are the experiences you want to have? Do you want to have your kids in the garden with you? Do you want to have events in the garden with your friends and family? Do you want your garden to be a place of meditation and quiet? Do you want it to be a place of activity and education and fun? Or maybe you want both. Think about how those go together. So just vision all the ideas, all the goals, all the things that are bubbling up inside of you. Get them down on paper. And then the second part is really looking at the site and really understanding the site. We call this a site assessment, essentially, where you're looking at things like sun and shade. You're looking at soil and drainage. You're looking at topography. You're looking at relationship. What is it adjacent to? The connectivity through your garden, the trail, the walking, the wheelbarrows, tractors and carts, trucks and all those things. So you, you, there's so many layers actually to explore in the assessment part. The main thing you want to look at, especially in a home garden, is sun, right? You want to make sure you're getting at least six hours or more of sun for most of the veggies and fruits that you want to grow. And we'll talk, there are a few things that will tolerate some shade and we'll get to that later. But for now, like, let's look at and mark out, you know, if you take one good tip is if you just take like a Google Earth of your home, of your garden, find a good angle on Google Earth, print that up, or you can learn how to mark it up right there on the screen and just start to bubble diagram the areas of your garden that are shady, that are sunny, that are flat, maybe that aren't flat. Maybe you mark some existing things that are there, big trees buildings, sheds, things like that. And what you're basically trying to do is, is identify the different areas in your garden or on your farm that are conducive to the different uses, right? So what are the areas that are really good for gardening? Full sun, pretty flat. Those are going to be your prime areas to zoom in on for your veggie gardens. And what are your landscape areas where you've got opportunities to maybe put in some fruit trees, some berry bushes, some perennial herbs, perennial vegetables, perennial flowering herbs. So when we're looking at your property for all these different site constraints and opportunities, constraints being things that are getting in the way, such as like shade, a big tree, it could be a constraint, a big fence on the neighbor's wall or your driveway. There's things that kind of force you constraints that kind of force you to work around them. And there's opportunities where you've got kind of blank canvas, right? Open space, a big grassy front yard. That's an opportunity. So many lawns in this country are some of the most heavy polluters because of all the chemicals that go into lawns, all the water, all the mowing, all the fossil fuels. It's like, I think one of the number one, like the largest crops in America is the lawn. One of the little things that you can do to make a big difference, right? We talked in the last episode about composting is a little thing you can do to make a big difference. The other little thing you can do to make a big difference is turn some of your lawn into food. That's what we want to do, right? We want to figure out all the places in your home that you can start to turn your landscape to a productive food producing garden and or a habitat for wildlife and beneficial birds and insects. You know, we want to turn our homes into sanctuaries, ecological sanctuaries that nurture nature and people. And so when we're looking at 
the planning process and we're thinking about designing our gardens, we're visioning, right? Developing a big vision of what we want to create. The other factor we need to back into is budget. And so we may not do everything all at once. If you're starting new and you've got a big budget and you want to totally transform your yard, that's awesome. I would recommend at that point hiring a landscape architect, a designer to work with you through your vision, through your ideas, help you understand some of your site constraints and opportunities and work with you. Take your ideas and create a beautiful plan. From that plan, you can start to implement either the whole thing in one big foul swoop, or you can start to phase it and say, you know, I'm going to start with this and move into that. And some of that might be around just what makes sense to start with. And then some of it might make more sense around budget and priorities. If you're not hiring a landscape architect and you're not going big, but you want to just start small and start making some differences, you know, even just starting to add some planters, some pots or some little raised beds on the driveway or in little spots that are just underutilized, or you want to get a little more ambitious and maybe pull out some of your landscaping that's not doing it for you, right? It's not beautiful, it's not productive, and you just want to take it out and amend the soil and replace it with some awesome perennial herbs or vegetables or fruit trees or berries or even an annual vegetable garden. These are the kinds of things that you can start doing right away. One other factor, right, is are you owning or are you renting? So if you're planting a temporary garden and you're renting, then you may want to look at what can I do to have the least amount of impact? You're not going to go pulling the landlord's landscape out necessarily, right? Not that you can't talk to them about some of the dying shrubs and you might want to replace that with some annual veggies while you're there. If you're renting, you want to look at like, could I bring in some raised beds that I could easily take with me when I leave? There's lots of options for pop-up, so to speak, gardens. And so we can talk more about that later. Actually, in the next chapter, tilling equals initiative, we're going to get a little more into the different kinds of beds and planters and ways of digging and all that kind of stuff. Kind of getting you, We're going to start really getting, getting in the dirt, building beds, starting to get ready for planting. What we're talking about now is really planning, right? So thinking about the right locations, the right kinds of crops, the right approach. And so if you're renting, then that's a constraint, right? You're not there for good. So you're not going to necessarily invest a ton into perennial fruit trees and stuff that you can't take with you. Now, I will say I've lived in places for five years. In fact, it's funny, just yesterday I was moving out of my house on the farm at Coastal Roots. After five years, I'm finally leaving. I went back in the yard and there was the mulberry tree that I planted for my son's fifth birthday. He's eight now, so it's three years old, and it was pumping mulberries. It was so sweet to harvest and bring them home with me for the kids. In fact, we're going to have them this morning for breakfast. So, you know, sometimes it's nice to offer it up, plant a tree, enjoy it while you're there, either dig it up and take it with you or leave it. You know, it's something actually I look forward to coming back to and visiting for years and years as I remember fondly the five beautiful years we spent raising our little kids on the farm at Coastal Roots in Encinitas. So that was a tangent. You get the idea, right? So if you're more permanent and you own your home and you're investing in your home, then planting fruit trees is an awesome idea, both for yourself and adding value to your property. So, you know, there's a couple things to look at when you're thinking about annuals versus perennials. You know, your annual gardens are areas that you're going to be working and replanting and replanting crop after crop, season after season. Those are going to be more your veggie garden beds. Whereas your perennial landscape are more things that you're going to put in. They're going to stay there for a long time. Perennials can last for 50 years, some of them. So what you want to do is you want to start mapping out your property and which areas are conducive to your veggie garden, to your annuals, and which areas are more conducive to perennial landscapes. 
your edible landscaping, you know, your native landscaping and your habitat, your, your flowering plants, your butterfly bushes, things like that. What I like to do when I'm planning a garden is I want to, you know, I really want to understand the vision of the gardener. You know, why are you gardening? You know, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And so if you're, you know, looking at your property and you're starting to apply these different goals to it, say, I want a place where I want to relax and meditate and have a really like a sanctuary. Okay, you know, you can design a space for that. You really want an herb garden because you want to have culinary herbs and tea herbs. So you find a good spot and you, you plan that. You want to have a veggie garden, right? You want to be pumping fresh veggies all year long for your kitchen. You find a good sunny spot for that. And then you want to have some berries and fruit trees that you can make jams and preserve. And so you want to find some spaces for those. And maybe you want chickens or rabbits or even goats. And you want an area to have some animals and get eggs and produce compost. So you want to find a good spot for that, you know, which might take a little bit more shade and put the chickens under some mulberry trees. So there's, there's all these different elements, right, that are possible. You may want, you know, just a nice dining area in the garden or a, a seating area. You may want a children's play area, a kid's nature play, and maybe a kid's garden. So these are just, you know, I'm just throwing a, a couple things out there that I think a lot of people get excited about when they want to start their garden. And that's just important to really think about, you know, who are you gardening for and with? What are your goals? What are you trying to create? And start with that and start to figure out where on your property do those different ideas fit best? And then how do you weave them together? What's your experience when you're moving through the garden? Because honestly, you know, those pathways and those little thresholds between one area and another, that's where a lot of the magic happens. Arbors and little gates and landscapes that kind of hide little garden rooms. You can have so much fun with this and create this magical little spaces for different experiences. And so this is the creative process. And what I love about after doing this for the last 25 years now, one of the things I keep coming back to is this beautiful biomimicry of the way the garden works naturally, the life cycle of the garden, the citizen farmer's framework. It's such a beautiful process to follow as an inspiration when you're planning your garden, starting with that composting process and really taking all these ideas, all these opportunities, all these constraints, putting them all into the compost pile, the metaphorical compost pile, and starting to distill down what you really want to create. Then you get into this planning part that we're talking about now where you start to draw it out, map it out, look at your soils, look at your sun, look at your topography, look at the different areas and how they feel and what inspires you when you sit and listen and feel into these places. What do you see? How does it make you feel in a certain area? It will definitely start to give you vision and ideas as you spend time in the garden. One thing I encourage people to do is take a nice like Sunday, have a little picnic, pitch up in the, in the yard somewhere and watch the sun. And just really study the sun. Because you can walk out in your, in your yard and you know, it happens to be you know, midday. And you're like, oh, look, this is such a sunny spot. Let's grow vegetables here. And then in the morning, there's nothing. You really want to spend some time, take a full day, keeping in mind that it's going to be a little different in the summer versus the winter. But spend time just looking and observing, especially the sun and shade patterns. And I really recommend that. And it's a nice thing to do and just chill. Just give yourself a, a sun day, a day to spend with the sun in your garden. And then as you're starting to really get a good feel for your property and start to kind of, you're starting to see what becomes more clear what you want to do, then what I recommend doing, I mean, there's a couple of approaches. One is just do it, right? So now like it's kind of the paint it in the landscape, right? So you're instead of designing something on paper, you kind of know what you want to do and you start to kind of sculpt it right there in the land. 
The other is to draw it up and really, really develop a detailed plan. And this can be from just a sketch. It could be a conceptual plan. It could be a schematic, or it could even be a construction drawing. So these are kind of the different levels of design in the process. We start out with a very high level, what we call an overlay bubble diagram. That's just bubbling out the different areas and saying, okay, this is sunny. This is shady. You know, this is the driveway. This is the house. This is public facing. This is more private. And we just kind of start to understand the site through some diagrams. And then we take that and we start to develop a preliminary concept sketch where we start sketching on top of that. We take the Google aerial or we'll take the base map if there's a a file from like the original, like kind of the base map file which shows the house and the property lines and we'll put some tracing paper and we'll start to sketch over it or put it in AutoCAD in the computer. And we'll, we'll start to really kind of sketch out the garden. And we'll play with that a bunch. We'll come up with different sketches and we'll, 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 you know, this will be an iterative process with the client. And then once we get to a pretty well thought out sketch, we'll take that into a more of a conceptual plan and we'll start to really make some finer grain detail adjustments. But generally we've got kind of the layout dialed in and we pretty much know what we're trying to do and we're starting to really put that down as a conceptual plan. And what we sometimes will do on a bigger project is we might do a focus area plan where there might be an area where there's a lot going on, right? And we want to zoom in at a bigger scale and start to really detail a specific part of the garden or farm. So we'll do a, just a more zoomed in, what we call a focus area concept plan. And then we're pretty much ready to take that to like schematic design, where now we're starting to really get into like detail. And we're laying this out by like dimension, like pretty accurate to the inch detail. And then we take that if necessary, if someone's going to bid it out for construction or get a quote, have a contractor come in and build it, then we will oftentimes design, uh, do construction drawings, which are literally drawings that you give to somebody that can then build exactly what you've spec'd out. So it'll say exact dimensions, what kind of materials, all the detailed drawings that somebody would need to, to go build it to spec. So for you, I don't know that you're going to need to get that detail, but I thought it would be helpful to just share the process. One of the things that's so beautiful about planning, it's never over. It's a dynamic process. I've found you're constantly evolving a design. It's not meant to be static. I think the best designs have flexibility built into them. They evolve with time. They mature. The landscape becomes part of what you're sculpting to refine the design. And it's living and changing, and you're constantly learning and adapting and updating the plan. So get your overall property map. Start dreaming. Put down all the things you'd like to see. Start sketching out where you think they make sense. Do it with your, with your family together. Get other people's ideas. Really important to get other people's input, especially other people who are going to share the garden with you. That could be your family, your friends, your neighbors. Get their ideas. I always find that more creativity, more creative minds in the process, it gives you exponential value. One of my favorite parts of design and planning is really getting input from all the different stakeholders, you know, that have ideas to offer. A lot of our projects, which are very large-scale projects, there's hospitals and there's schools and there's senior communities and families and there's restaurants and there's all spas and hotels and all these different entities that are participating in the garden and farm in some way. And so, you know, we think it's really important to understand what each of their goals are and what they would like to use the garden for programmatically and what kind of crops they'd like to be able to have and different events and programs and activities. And 
it's so important to engage everybody and start to build the culture of your garden by bringing people into it with you. That's where the magic really happens. And I think what's unique about the citizen farmers approach as well is it's as much about growing food as it is about growing community. I think that was one of the things when I wrote the book almost 10 years ago, the goal was really not so much to be a how-to book on gardening, but a why-to. And the why is about growing food and community and the power that gardens have in bringing people together and connecting people to the land and to each other and really building culture and putting that culture back in agriculture, something that's really missing in our society. Gardening together, making things together. So the last thing I'll say is, you know, when you start to think about what you're going to grow, you know, think about the things you really love to eat. What are the things you eat a lot of? And then obviously that has to match up with your climate and be things that you can grow where you are. So if you kind of match those two together, say, what can I grow where I am? And what are the things I really love to eat? And start to think about how much of each thing <laughs> makes sense, you know, because there's always this balance of like, you don't want too little where you're not getting enough to really, you know, but getting a little taste, but you don't necessarily want like too much of one thing that you can't keep up with. So kind of getting that balance of like how many zucchini plants and how many cucumber plants and how many tomato plants and how many cabbages, how many kales, how many collards, how many beets, how many carrots. So, you know, just looking at that and kind of starting to get a general sense of production and what kinds of plants, what kind of food you want to grow, what kind of herbs, what kind of flowers. And then you can start to figure out prioritizing the space and what you're going to grow in it and also which things that you really want to grow. And then the last thing on that is seasonality, right? So there's seasons to consider. Depending on what time of year you're in, you're going to want to be planting according to season. So whether you're planting cool season crops in the spring or fall, warm season crops, spring, summer, or you're planting perennials like fruit trees and berries and herbs in the late fall and winter and very early spring. So that's another thing to think about. Planning is a great thing to do in the winter. I find that's like the best time to really dream, open up the seed catalogs, reflect on the last season, get excited about what you want to add to your garden or what you want to start new when you're just starting a new garden. Use magazines. There's so many great Pinterest boards and we have some up on Citizen Farmers for inspiration for folks and start to really get a sense of what style you like. You know, do you like Japanese gardens? Do you like English gardens? You know, what, what's kind of your style? What, what, what inspires you? What makes you feel at home and relaxed? So I'd start exploring some of those architectural elements, materials, design aesthetics. Is it modern? Is it country? It's chic? You know, all these, there's so many different directions you can go in and have some fun with. I'll leave you with a few tools. You know, I'd say you probably just want like a tape measure you can do a certain amount on a computer and kind of Google Earth and measure things. But, you know, especially on a home garden scale, you want to start to map out the different beds, label them, measure them. So just some basic grid paper, drafting paper, trace paper, some good pens, some markers, some color pencils are fun. This is a great activity to do with the kids. You know, maybe you, you lay out a couple base maps of the property with the kids and let them come up with some cool designs, let them play to ask them what they want ask them what kinds of things they want to grow. It's a great opportunity to teach them too about what they can and can't grow, where they are and when and how much they produce and what they need. And so it's a, it's a really fun activity to do as a family. So other than like a measuring tape, some good grid paper, graph paper, blank white paper, some good markers and color pencils. Other than that, I mean, you're pretty much good to go. If you want to get fancy and start looking into some software, there's AutoCAD, which is the main program that people use to do design. 
It's pretty technical. There are some landscape design softwares, options that are much more user-friendly, and they've got inventory database of plants you can pick from. So you could look into some of those. Personally, I really like to spend time in the garden sketching and looking through seed catalogs and gardening books and just kind of digging into inspiration from there. So that's it for planning. Enjoy time in your garden, not gardening. Enjoy some time in your garden, visioning and feeling and designing. Join the Citizen Farmers community. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. For more information, check out today's show notes. Special thanks to our pilot sponsor, Netafin, the company that first brought drip irrigation to the world over 50 years ago. This podcast was co-produced and recorded by Ben Bernstein. Our audio editor is Stephanie Lamont. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Citizen Farmers Podcast with Farmer D. Until next time, enjoy your time in the garden.